That's, you know, that's the first, in Luke's gospel, the first story that we have of Christ as a, as an actor in the drama, if you like, is of a 12 year old Christ. And he's in the temple. His parents don't know where he is. Um, they've taken their eye off the ball in parenting terms. And, uh, and, and, and they've, um, they've not noticed that he's not with them. But he's actually in the temple, uh, debating, uh, arguing, uh, talking with, uh, the, the, the scribes. And it says that they were amazed. They were amazed at his, uh, at his teaching and his, his authority, if you like, as a 12 year old. Um, Christ had amazing authority. And when we come to this passage, uh, what we're going to remember first of all is that this is Christ with all the authority, uh, that he had telling us how to behave. And we can't get away from it. Um, but this is, as I said, Veronese, uh, Christ amongst the doctors. And, uh, and I've, I've called, uh, the, the overarching, um, title of the, of the talk a new heart. Um, because there are, Christ gives us new challenges and sets new expectations for us in what he says here. And, and that is impossible, uh, without a new heart, as we shall see. Um, <clears throat> so I've, uh, I'm going to talk uh, about a new authority, a new attitude, a new approach, uh, and a new application. Because uh, what what uh, what Jesus is doing here is he's um, starting to give examples and applications of this new way of thinking that we have to have as his followers. Um, but uh, we are going to think a little bit about uh, you know the general uh, approach that, that we should take uh, as well as the specific. Um, I haven't been very good recently at alliterating, but this one just fell naturally into an alliteration, so I am keeping up with the ores and Haley's of this world. Uh, so a new authority, a new attitude, a new approach, uh, and a new application. And uh, you know, some of you who know me will know my favourite uh, quotation from, from a Christian book. See, I read it years and years and years ago. Uh, J. Oswald Sanders, uh, who said, we're not fighting, as Christians, we don't fight from victory. Sorry, we don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. In other words, Christ has already won uh, the victory and, and, and uh, we are fighting um, from the fact that he has been victorious. Well, um, you know, will, if you'll forgive me, um, I've, uh, I've paraphrased it uh, for this morning. Um, we're not fighting to fulfill the law, as Chris has already told us. Uh, we're fighting from its fulfillment. And that makes all the difference as we come uh, to see the challenges uh, that Christ uh, lays down for us. Um, as Chris said last week, um, it's challenging, but it shouldn't be terrifying. And it shouldn't be terrifying because Christ has already fulfilled the law and we, uh, we follow him uh, in uh, that light and through that prism. So, uh, a new authority, a new attitude, a new approach and a new um, application. I love the story of uh, the the town um, and uh, the the two guys who who meet um, probably in the pub. It's always in the pub in these stories, um, and start chatting about their jobs. And uh, the one the one uh, says to the other, uh, "What what do you you know what do you do as a job?" It's all typical question, isn't it? What do you do as a job? And he said, "Well, um, I'm uh, I'm the verger at the." Um, 
at the church. Um, and he, he starts to explain, you know, what he does as part of his job. Um, explains, you know, he, he, he does cleaning, he does opening up and closing down, he does this, he does the other. And he said, and I also uh, make sure that the clock on the, on, the, on the tower is telling the right time. So the other chap says, well, how, how do you do that? You know, how do you check that it's telling the right time? He says, well, um, I always uh, set it by the hooter at the factory because I know the hooter at the factory is um, always right, you know, for when people uh, come to work and, and leave work. And the other guy says, well, that's an amazing coincidence, he says, because I'm the guy who sets the hooter and I set it by the church clock. <laughs> the problem with the world's approach to morality is that it is relative. The world works out what is right and what is wrong. Oops, um, we've lost it. Um, the world works out what is, what is right and what is wrong by what other people think and do. Just like the clock and the hooter. So you can set your moral compass by what else is happening out in the world. You can set your moral compass by what other people or what society tells you is right or is wrong. The problem is that doesn't tell you what is really right and really wrong because you need an external way of judging that. And we have that. We believe passionately as Christians that we have a, uh, a way of knowing what, um, what is right and what is wrong. And quite simply, as we find out today, that's what Jesus says. It's what Jesus says. And that is the way in which uh, we know uh, what is right and what is wrong. Uh, we heard uh, last week how Christ fulfills the law. And because he fulfills the law, because he kept it perfectly, he can also fulfill it in being the, the sacrifice that the law was looking forward to. Um, and because he, he fulfills the law in being the perfect sacrifice, um, he has freed us from its tyranny. But that also um, allows him to reinterpret, uh, to uh, deepen uh, the law and to give us uh, new commands and give us new commands in, um, in a different way. So what, what he does now, Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, he goes on uh, to give us six examples. Uh, six examples of how this, uh, this new approach uh, to life... Um, oh, thank you. Um, how this new approach to life um, works out uh, in practice. All good teachers... Uh, give examples, don't they? They've set out the principles and then they say, well, let's actually see what that means in practice. And so uh, Jesus goes on now and he gives six examples of what uh, the new attitude um, and the new approach uh, to the law looks like in practice for us. And we're going to look particularly um, at two this morning, which is, uh, which is anger and lust. Okay. Um, first of all, though, we're going to look at um, the new authority uh, that Christ uh, brings uh, to this. Chris was talking last week, I think, to the to the children about um, some of the advice he got as a as a teacher, 
um, how to uh, how to ensure that uh, the young people did uh, what he asked. Um, and he said, for example, that uh, you always expected uh, the young people to do what you asked, and you 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 showed that you expected it by thanking them even before they'd done it. And uh, I got exactly the same advice, <laughs> um, and always tried to do it. Um, though I was put, I was told to put the thank you at the start. So thank you, John, for which I, I don't think that sounded quite as good actually. But anyway, but the same advice, um, and. It's really interesting because as a teacher, and indeed as a head teacher, um, you, do, you, you do ask yourself um, the question about, you know, how, how will I have authority? What will give me authority? Well, there's a number of things, of course, that give you authority. Um, you can have authority because of your status. So, in a sense, the school... Uh, you know, awards you the status of teacher. And you go into the classroom and that status uh, means that uh, that people should do uh, what you say. Of course, it doesn't always work. Um, you can claim the authority, and that's what Chris was talking about, by just, in a sense, assuming that people are going to do what you say. You, you claim or you expect authority. Um, but, of course, you can earn Authority, and I have to say, with some kids, you have to earn it. You know, the fact you've got a status, the fact that you you claim it doesn't work. You've got to earn it. Um, but also, and this is I always found this interesting. Um, there's an innate authority. Some people have got it, and some people haven't. And uh, and, and I used to talk about as a head teacher, I used to have a handshake test, um, and I used to claim that I could tell just from the handshake um, at, at an interview who was going to win out at the end of the day. About 75% of the time. Uh, the only reason for carrying through with the rest of the day was it was wrong 25% of the time. Um, but uh, but there is the, some, some people just have an innate authority and, and some people don't um, in whatever situation you may, you may talk about. So they may have it in one situation, but they don't have it in another. Well, Jesus has authority. He says to the people uh, that that, that are listening here, he says, you have heard it said. And he goes on to say whatever it is that, that they've heard it said. And then he says, but I say to you, he has authority to tell people what to do and how to behave. It's not an authority that comes from his wisdom in the law. It's not an authority that comes from uh, years and years of study, though there probably was that, to be fair. Uh, It comes from the fact that he is who he is. I say to you. Uh, Jesus' emphasis is on the commands being his commands. Um, So, yes, he does reinterpret. Uh, and, and, and deepen and strengthen and widen applications of the Old Testament law. But fundamentally what he's saying, and I think Chris said it last week, they're his commands and we do them because he says. Uh, John fourteen twenty one it says, whoever has my commands and keeps them, it is he who loves me. They are his commands. Uh, and we keep them because of who he is. Don Carson talks about uh, Christ's matchless authority. 
He had authority that nobody else had. Um, and uh, Robert Stein talks about his unique authority. Again, he had authority that nobody else had. And this authority, very quickly, is the authority of God. I had uh, Jehovah's Witnesses round to the door not so long ago, and I cannot, cannot, cannot understand how they can read the New Testament and not get that Jesus is God. Jesus claims to be God. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. He calls himself Son of Man uh, 82 times that we have recorded. And when he said he was the Son of Man, everybody knew what he meant. He calls himself the Messiah. He accepts the title King of the Jews. He accepts the title Son of God. And he says... Uh, uh, when in the great commandment baptized in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you and behold i am with you always to the end of the age so he's claiming to be god because he's saying baptize in the name of the father the son of the holy spirit he's claiming that we do what we do because he tells us and he says that you'll be able to do it because i'm with you And Jehovah's Witnesses look me in the face and say, he's not God. He's God. And because he's God, we do what he says. But he also demonstrates, as we know throughout the the, the New Testament, he demonstrates his authority in action. He demonstrates his authority over nature. He demonstrates his authority over disease. He demonstrates his authority over the Sabbath. He demonstrates his authority over demons. He demonstrates his authority over the devil. He demonstrates his authority over death. And he tells us what to do and we do it. Don't we? We do it. So Jesus' authority is incontrovertible. And that's why when we look at what he tells us to do, we have to take it incredibly seriously. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, Jesus heals the man. He taught with authority. You have one instructor, the Christ, he says in Matthew 23, verse 10. And he takes the law and he says things about the law that nobody else could have said. So in uh, Mark 7, 18 to 23, when he's teaching, we get a little note from Mark that says, in this way, Jesus declared all foods clean. Why are all foods clean? Because Jesus says they are. It's Jesus' authority uh, that we follow. Um, And people recognise that authority. They were astonished, it says in Mark 1 verse 22. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And we too need to recognise and surrender to that authority. Um, So what do we have to do in our surrender to that authority? Well, first of all, we have to have um, a new attitude. Continuing the the, the, uh, talking about job interviews, you know, I said about handshake tests, you know, um, somebody comes in and they they have a really good handshake and you think they're the person for the job. Well, um, you will know, I'm sure all of you who are involved in this kind of thing, that um, these days when you interview, uh, you have to have, you know, criteria and waitings, and you have to do it all very carefully to make sure you get the right person. And you know, I reckon in nine nine interviews out of ten, it's fiddled. Because actually, you know who's right for the job. Um, and so, as you, 
I'm not saying I ever did this, of course, because this is on, this this is now on public record. So, <laughs> so I, I'm not saying I ever did it, but uh, I know that it happens. You know, you, you're sitting there and you, you're thinking that's the right person for the job, and so as you go through, you 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 suddenly realise actually they're scoring a little bit lower than than the person who's definitely not right for the job. So you're sort of crossing it out and changing it, and in the end, the scores always give you the answer that you want. Um, sorry, the answer that other people, that one might want, um, not me, of course. Um, and there, uh, there is something in certain candidates that you just know they've got the right attitude, that you just know they're right for the job, you just know they're going to fit in. And it's not about the boxes that they tick it's not about, you know, um, what they do and what they don't do or claim to do. and that, It's because you just know their attitude is right. And fundamentally, um, what Jesus is saying here is that it starts with our attitude. We must have a new heart. Um, the scribes and the Pharisees were, um, were taking a, a bit of a tick box exercise uh, to morality and to how you lived. Uh, and, and in so, they were actually ending up restricting the application of the law in many cases. Um, and then in other cases, they were extending it because they were taking a tick box attitude uh, to the law. And if you want to know what Jesus thought about that, read Matthew chapter 23. You will know it. He really lays into them about it because their attitude to the law is completely wrong. Uh, they take, as I said, a tick box attitude. Instead, what we need is a change of heart. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Jeremiah uh, 31, uh, 33, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. What God says is that for his people, um, <clears throat> when Jesus fulfills the law, thereafter the approach to the law will be through that prism. It will be through uh, the fact that we have a new heart and therefore a new attitude. How can that be? How can we suddenly have this new heart? Well, we have a new heart because God gives it to us. It is not of our own doing, but God gives us a new heart. Notice again, you know, uh, the two verses that I've just read out, they both say, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. It is God that does it. It's not about um, our effort. God changes our heart. Um, He gives us a new status, a new life in Christ. And as a result, um, uh, he uh, he gives us his spirit and uh, we have and can have a new attitude that doesn't make it easy. But it means that things are possible that would not otherwise have been possible. But it means, fundamentally, that we need to repent. We need to accept that it is not of us, that it is all of God. Um, We need uh, to repent and repent and repent again. And we need to accept every day that uh, that we cannot do it in our own strength and that we need God. Um, the time is fulfilled John the Baptist said the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe in the gospel and what Jesus is saying in 
uh, in his examples that he gives and, and, and the Sermon on the Mount, he's actually saying uh, that we need to have a, a completely uh, new attitude to the law. Um, can we, I ask myself and you, can we be humble? Uh, can we be uh, repenting every day? We need to do so. Um, and none of what we're going to look at makes sense otherwise. Um, but this new attitude needs to, leads to a new approach. Uh, and we see this in, in what uh, Jesus says. So he says things like, um, it is better that you lose one of your members, one of your arms, one of your legs, than that your whole body be thrown into uh, hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. What, is, what, what does he mean when he says that? Well, what he says is that we have to have a completely new approach. Let me, um, let me explain, I think, in, in my own example. I'm teaching Rhiannon to drive at the moment. And uh, we haven't crashed. <laughs> in, fact, in fact, I don't think, I can pretty, pretty safely say now, I don't think we're going to crash. But I'll tell you something else. Sometimes I grip the side of my seat very, very hard. And I'll tell you why. Because there's something, even now, I mean, she, she gets better and better, of course, but even now there's something not quite right about her driving. I don't think she's going to crash. Um, she sticks to the rules of the road, actually. So she's ticking the boxes. But something isn't quite right. Let me give you an example. Um, as we come to a junction, I know she's going to stop because she always has. <laughs> right? She's never not stopped. But we're coming at it a bit too quick. <laughs> I still <laughs> am gripping the side of my seat. What Jesus is saying is that our attitude to morality starts right back. It's not about avoiding the crashes, though that's important. It's about having the right attitude to the way that we live. It starts right back. So, you need to think about your life and ask, what in my life is helpful? What in my life is sensible? What in my life is positive and what is not? And that's uh, where you start. How can I live in a positive way, live up to my status as a follower of Christ, as somebody in his family, as somebody who's redeemed? That's where we start. We start right back. We start with saying, well, you know, he says, if, if your eye is causing you to sin, if your hand is causing you to sin, it is better that you get... You get rid of your eye, you get rid of your hand. He doesn't mean maim yourself, he doesn't mean that literally. He means self-regulation, not self-maiming. He means think, as you know, as I say to Rhiannon, think about the speed at which you're approaching a junction. That's where you need to start. It's not about avoiding the crashes, it's about going back and thinking about the way that we live in general. So where are we spending our time? Who are we... Uh, socialising with, and I don't mean by that that you, you don't socialise with non-Christians, but you, you think about these things. How am I spending my time? Where am I going? 
What am I doing? How am I living? Am I living in a positive way? If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It, it, it's, it can sometimes uh, be drastic. This is what Paul says in Galatians 3, verses 1 to 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So it is an approach to life that we need to take. It is a way of living, and we need to be thinking about the whole way in which uh, we live. So positive self-regulation is what we need to be doing. And we need to be thinking about that really seriously. As I said, consider the balance in your life. The couple who decide to move to the countryside because they want a new life and keep going back to the city all the time because they miss the city. They're not experiencing a new life, are they? Because they're looking back and they can't... We need, if we move to the countryside, we need to think about... How do you live in the countryside? How do you make the most of living in the countryside? How do we make the most of this new life that Christ has given us? How do we live every day in a positive, self-regulating manner uh, that means that we are, um, we, we are the people, the pure people, the loving people uh, that we should be? Christ gives another example. He says, <clears throat> if you're offering uh, your... Uh, where is it? Where is it? Uh, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Talked about communion next week. Don't come to communion if you've got something um, you know, between you and somebody else that needs sorting out. Sort it out first. He says um, if, uh, if you've if you've got a dispute with somebody and you, you, you're heading off to court, um, then sort it out now. Don't wait for the judge to do it for you. Uh, be reconciled. I take it because there's a, um, you know, there, there are two very different examples here. One to do with, uh, if you like, with religion. One to do with uh, the civil courts. I take that this this applies uh, to us in all situations, whoever we might have the issue with. People in church, outside church, all people. That's how I take it. If you have uh, an issue with somebody, sort it out early. This is, again, it's a, it's a, if you like, um, it's, it's a way in which we can live more positively. Don't let things fester. Don't let things go too far. Um, be sensible about how to do that. If it's in your own head, you sort it out in your own head. If the other person knows about it, you sort it out with them. If lots of people know about it, you might have to take it further. But sort it out as early as possible. So what Jesus is saying is it's a whole new um, approach to life. It's not about, uh, you know, not doing one or two things uh, that are um, not allowed. It's about a whole new approach to anything. Galatians 3 verse 12 says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, compassionate hearts, kindness, meekness, patience. We can add purity. Put those on. Positively work at it um, so that you're not just uh, taking that tick box approach uh, that the Pharisees had. But then we get into some specifics, don't we? 
um, about two commandments. Jesus takes as his first two examples the sixth commandment, uh, do not murder, and the seventh commandment, do not commit adultery. And he explains how the, um, the application of that for his followers uh, is very different. It's deeper, it's wider, it's more challenging, it's more radical. Um, but if we have that new attitude and that new approach, then it will be possible in God's strength uh, to do it. I think we're living in a, or we have been living in a, in a time when um, anger uh, seems to, uh, you know, t- to be much more part of the public discourse, doesn't it? I think about Trump's rallies, you know, where they shout, lock her up, lock her up, lock her up. Um, or the way on both sides of the Brexit debate, you know, people have been disparaging and, uh, and uh, probably sometimes um, not just disrespectful, but, but angry towards those on the other side of the debate. And so we as Christians have to be countercultural in the way uh, that we behave. And Jesus says it's not just about certain actions, it's about a whole approach to this area. Um, I don't think when he says, don't call um, your brother a fool, that he's being specific about that particular word. Uh, If he were, he would be being exactly like the scribes and the Pharisees that he's criticising. He's emphasising, he's emphasising that in all circumstances and in all situations... Uh, we uh, we avoid being angry uh, with people. Um, our thoughts um, must uh, avoid anger. What do I think this means then in practice? I think it means knowing yourself. Because I think uh, we get angry in particular situations and in p- at particular times. Maybe we need to be honest that we can't discuss certain things with certain people, okay? You know, just avoid it then. Um, I don't talk to my mother about Brexit, okay? I can talk to my mum about all sorts of things, right? But I don't talk to my mum about Brexit. And that's okay, actually. We don't need to talk about Brexit because there's so much else to talk about. So we don't talk about it because I know that however calm I try and say, it's going to be very difficult. So I don't do it. I don't do it. Um, it's not so much that we disagree, maybe, but you know how we disagree. But um, I also know that I'm I get very angry, can get very angry when I'm tired. Now it would be a bit glib to say avoid being tired all the time (laughs) it's not always possible although if you can avoid being tired that's a good thing Um, but if you know that's when you have a pop at people then think about how you can avoid being in a situation when you're tired when you might end up having a pop at somebody particularly your long suffering wife Um, clearly also we can get we can get angry when we get stressed can't we so Again, it would be too glib to say avoid getting stressed, although it's a good thing to avoid getting too stressed if you, if you can do it. And This is not the time to talk about how we avoid getting stressed. There's, there's lots of books about it. But, um, but when you're stressed, be aware that's probably when you can get angry and avoid it. Work on ways of being able to avoid situations where you can get angry with people. So, you know, if you argue with your partner about money... Have a budget. 
You know, even if you say, oh, I don't need a budget. Well, maybe you do need a budget if you argue about money. Have a budget to make sure you don't, you know, have a timetable. If you, you know, if you argue about, and Rhiannon went on holiday um, with, sorry to keep using Rhiannon as an example, I can do it because she's not here. Um, <laughs> she won't listen to it, she won't listen to this, I'm sure. She's got her own church sermons to listen to. Uh, but she, um, she went on holiday with two of her friends in the autumn, and you know, when she came home, we said, do you have a good time? She said, no. <laughs> she said, well, it's great being away, and it was good seeing another place, but she said, we just argued <laughs> all the time. So I said, oh, well, you know, why did you argue? Well, we argued about where we were going, you know. and what. We... So I said, well, you know, didn't you sort of work all that out in advance? Well, yes, but, you know, it sort of unraveled. And But it, she didn't. Act, they didn't actually properly organise, you know, what they were going to do and how they were going to keep everybody happy. And so people felt that they were doing the thing that they, the other person wanted to do. And what, try and what I'm trying to say is, be be practical, be pragmatic. Jesus says anger's wrong, so we've got to find ways of avoiding getting angry. Um, and you know, it, it all starts with prevention. Okay, it starts way back. Bible's got lots of good advice. Here's a little bit. Um, don't expect, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but in Romans 14, verse 13, um, I think what um, what Paul is saying is, is don't don't expect, uh, sounds dreadful, don't expect too much of people, but don't put unreasonable expectations on other people, especially if they're a bit different to you or have a slightly different approach to you. Don't make an issue out of something that shouldn't be an issue. That's when he's talking about food offered to idols. You know, just... People will think differently, so accept that and don't make an issue out of something that you shouldn't be making an issue out of. Um, in Philippians 2 verse 3, he says, Avoid selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourself. That's a good reminder, isn't it? And if we can do that, we won't get, we won't get so angry. Pride is often the cause of anger. Um, Colossians 3 verse 13, Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Um, it's challenging, isn't it? But in, in, in the wisdom of the Bible and in the strength which Christ supplies and knowing that in the end it's not of us, it's of Christ, we can, we can, we can make a good fist of this, you know. We really can. Then Jesus talks about the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery, lust. Um, again, I don't think this is just aimed at the married. This is aimed at all of us. It's, it's Jesus saying, actually, we're all being held as followers of Christ to a higher level of purity, of sexual purity. That's what he's saying. He's saying it applies to all of us in all situations. We have to be uh, sexually pure. We have to take responsibility for being sexually pure. And this is, I think, particularly challenging um, for us now because, you know, think, going back to the hooter and the clock, um, because the world has been adjusting itself, um, you know, not by an external standard, but has been adjusting itself by what people feel and think, the standards have changed and probably continue to change. And I think when we talk about and when we practice sexual purity, um, it can be seen by people outside the church as being implicitly judgmental. We're saying something about the way they behave, and I think that can uh, that can be challenging for us. We're not saying, you know, we're saying this is this is how we behave as followers of Christ. We're not saying 
We're not trying to tell them how to behave because they're outside the church. But they will, it will be difficult. It will be difficult. So Jesus, I think, is setting out an attitude again that we should have, an approach that all of us should have. A specific um, application to sexuality, yes, um, but this is not a comment on a particular situation. I think it's, he's talking about a, an attitude that we should have uh, to sexual purity. Um, and as I said, I think it has a wider application than just to the, to the married. Again, sin is in the heart, so he talks about the way that we think, and the way that we think should be pure. And again, I think it's about knowing yourself. I don't think um, that... Uh, it, that I can stand up here and, and give very precise instructions for different people in their circumstance. I think it's about understanding uh, that, uh, you know, that lustful thoughts and impure thoughts are wrong, um, not just the actions, and, that, and you need to find ways of avoiding those. So if there are circumstances in which you know that you will find it challenging and difficult, uh, then avoid them. If there are perhaps people you shouldn't socialise with in particular circumstances, don't. If there are particular places you shouldn't go or particular things you shouldn't look at or read, or don't. Don't. Jesus talks about self-regulation here. He talks about cutting things out that are unhelpful. And he talks about, therefore, focusing on the things um, that, are, that are right and pure and noble. Um, have clear boundaries that work for you and stick to them. Don't put yourself in a position where you're going to be tempted. Uh, avoid circumstances and situations that will be particularly challenging for you. Uh, Paul writes in Colossians 3 verse 14, And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is about love. It's about... Uh, it's about loving God and loving other people. It's the great commandment. Um, but it's being practical and sensible and pragmatic in doing that so that you don't put yourself in a position where you let God down, you let yourself down, you let other people down, uh, you cause problems for yourself and others. Be very, very sensible and remember that the person who tells us to behave in this way has the right to do it. Um, we do these things because God, Jesus, is telling us to do them. Uh, shall we pray? Dear Lord, uh, these uh, expectations and commands are tough. They're difficult. The standard is high. But with your guidance and with your strength and knowing uh, that you have given these to us having already kept the law and fulfilled the law we believe and we trust that we can tomorrow and in the days to come follow you more effectively follow you more positively follow you um, more in the way that you would want us to follow you help us uh, to put on love to put on purity and to follow you, the God and the teacher, with unique and matchless authority. Amen. Amen.